This is the Big Church Podcast. Who's excited about the David series? I mean, it's been really, really good. As, as Kagan, I heard Kagan did an awesome job last week. And, and you know, you, you, we could, we could, I was telling somebody, we could preach for 30 weeks on David, just stories and, of his life and everything, because that's how powerful he was. But, but we want to go back just a little bit and talk about who was David. And as we recap just a little bit, he was the least in his family. And uh, they went to look for a king for Israel, and they, didn't, they did not even invite him to the party. I mean, they left him out there. But when Samuel came, he said, none of these guys are going to be the guys that are going to be the king because I'm not looking at what they look like on the outside. I'm looking about what they look like on the inside. So when David walked in, God told Samuel, he said, that's the guy right there because he is a man after my own heart. But what happened is as soon as he becomes, uh, he becomes king, he's sent back out into the pasture, as I said a couple weeks ago, to get prepared. But his, his very first assignment is, I want you, his dad calls him in and he says, I want you to go and give a report about what's going on in the battle. And I want you to take some cheese and crackers to your brothers. Well, you got to understand what he said. He, he had to fight through his feelings to get to the facts. Because what his feelings told him was this, it says, why don't, dad, why don't you just take that cheese, that mac and cheese yourself? Because you didn't even call me to the party. You didn't think enough about me to get me to come in. So why don't you just do it yourself? Because I ain't got time for that. I really don't like those guys either. You know, they never did treat me good. They always treated me bad. So why would I want to do anything special for them? Because they never did anything for me. And what, what did they ever do for me? They made fun of me. They, they did nothing. They discounted me all the time. So what... Sometimes what you have to do is you can't go by your feelings. You have to go by your facts. So many times we live our lives on our feelings. We live our lives, well, you did this, so I'm going to do that. Or you didn't do this, so I'm, going to, I'm not ever going to do this for you. David could have had all of those things. But what happens is the facts are that David had an assignment. He had an assignment. The title of my message is this, something worth fighting for. Let's read 1 Samuel 17. There's going to be a lot of reading in here, so pray for me. I'm not the greatest reader in the world. I am married to a former English teacher, and she told me several times about seen Saul, have seen Saul, and King Saul, and whatever. So here we go. So David, never mind, I had to tell that one. So David rose early in the morning, and he left his sheep. Say left with a keeper, and took the things as he went, and he went as Jesse had commanded, that was his dad, and he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. Israel and the Philistines had drawn up battle array, army against army. They're out here, one's on one side of the hill, and the other one's out, and they're getting ready, and they're screaming at each other and shouting at each other. Verse 22, and David left, say left, his supplies in the hands of the keeper, and he, and he ran to the army, and he came, and he greeted his brothers. The very first thing I want you to know is, will you fight for your assignment? Wow, that's will you fight for your assignment? You might have to serve some mac and cheese to people you don't even like to get to the place where God wants you to be. You might have to suck it up, and you might have to do some things that you really don't want to do, or you really feel like you don't really feel like doing. To get to the place of better opportunities, you've got to take care of the small things. David, again, could have had a bad attitude about it. He could have said, I'm not doing these things. But to get to the bigger opportunities, sometimes you have to humble yourself and do the things you don't want to do. David would have never met his real assignment 
if he had never obeyed his father. He never would have got to the place where God wanted him to be if he hadn't started with obedience. Our opportunities are wrapped in obedience. Your skill and your talent and your connections, they're going to help you for just a little while. But after a little while, that all stuff starts to fade away. You can never advance until you allow obedience to come into you and give you the opportunity to do what God has called you to do. Obedience Submission and discipline always lead to new assignments. And also, obedience doesn't always require, it doesn't always require you knowing what's going to happen. A lot of times, obedience doesn't always require the details of what's going to happen when you go there. David didn't have any idea that taking some mac and cheese to his brother was going to turn into a fight with a giant. But he did it anyway. There was a man in the Bible where God told him his name is Abraham. He said, I want you to go and I want you to get up. And Abraham had a lot of money and he had a lot of land and a lot of cattle. And he said, I want you to leave this country. And Abraham said, okay, where do you want me to go? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. Sometimes obedience, just being able to, the blessing is in going. Sometimes you just have to go. And when he got there, he says, what do you want me to do when I get there? Well, when you get there, I'll let you know what I'm going to tell you when I get there. He said, you'll be the father of many nations. But yet when he got there, his wife was barren. And God said, sometimes you just have to trust the process to get to your assignment. Normal obedience does a lot. You might think, well, God's never told me to leave my country or leave my family or go here. But you know what? Normal obedience is this. Normal obedience is to pray every single day. Normal obedience is just to serve where God has called you to serve. Normal obedience is said, I'm just going to read some of my word and I'm going to give of my finances. That's the normal things that you can do to get your assignment where God wants you to be. The smallest details matter in your assignment. You notice what he said? He left his sheep with the keeper. He just didn't abandon. No good shepherd ever just leaves his sheep. But a lot of times what we do is we try to figure out who we can leave our sheep with but he always made sure that he was always taken care of. He left his supplies with the keeper. God will not give you an opportunity to move up and to go higher until you finish what you start. He's never going to give you a platform. He's never going to give you the, the place where you really feel like you need to go. Maybe some people, maybe somebody in here is just stuck today. It's like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And God is saying, listen, I want to move you higher. I want to take you to a deeper place. But you have never finished anything you've ever started. How many, have you ever met people that they got 64 different little plans and they always kept their fingers up and uh, but they never finished anything. And you know what? I'm not, a, I'm not a great multitasker or anything like that, but that drives me crazy. Get two things or one thing that you're good at and be really, really good at it. Oh, I'm going on with that one. That'll get me in trouble. No good shepherd leaves his sheep unattended. God has entrusted us to tend the sheep. He's entrusted us to take care of the things that he's been. And let me give you another one. David's assignment was about to change because he was willing. Sometimes you can be talented and skillful and have the connections and do all of those things. But a lot of times, if it's nothing else other than just being willing to go, God can take someone who's willing to do and go someplace where nobody has gone before and do more with them than all the talent and all the things in the world that you have. God says, I'm just looking for someone who's willing. When David's dad said, go to the front, man, he was like, I am there. Uh, you like when you're ready to leave for vacation, you always want to leave a day before you go. David said, I'm ready to go. Obedience, 
David was about to be reassigned in the middle of his assignment. He had an assignment to go on, but God's about to change that. Let's look at verse 23. Then as he talked with them, this was David talking to the men, there was a champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw this man, you got a nine-foot, seven-inch giant standing out there cursing God, and really everybody is shaking in their boots. When they saw this man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? I mean, look at him. He is huge. we got a guy in the first service. He's a monster. Surely he has come up. I mean that in the nicest way. He's just a big guy. He used to play NFL. So, uh, Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be to that man who kills him. The king will enrich him with great riches. He will give him a daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes. Gave, whoever kills this guy is going to get money. They're going to get a babe. They're going to have to pay no taxes. Come on. What better story is that right there? Come on. I'll be like David. I'm about to throw a rock at somebody anyway. <laughs> Verse 26, and then David spoke to the men who stood by him. Listen, what shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 28, now Eliab, remember Eliab is the brother that got, was supposed to be the king, but now he's all jealous. His oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was, was aroused against David. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Can you imagine, probably the tone in his voice, you know, you, know, you ever get a tone? I had, she tells me, you have a tone in your voice, I said. The tone, why did you come down here and who did you leave those sheep with? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. Verse 29, it's one of my favorites. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Verse 30, and he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the thing. There's something worth fighting for, but number two is, who are you fighting? What I love about David is he's up in the, the crowd, and Eliab, his brother's coming out, and he starts talking smack to him. He starts saying, why did you leave the sheep, and what are you doing, and all of this thing? And what David had to do in that moment, he had to learn to tune out the negative people in his life. Negative people can set you back from your cause and from your purpose. Here's what he didn't do. David had to turn away from his brother. The enemy will always create a new enemy to fight. He will always create something else in your life when he tries to mask who he is and he'll create someone else in your life. Why? Because he wants to divert you from who the real enemy is. Guys, the enemy out there is not your wife. And I got an amen over there. Ladies, the enemy out there is not your husband. The person sitting next to you is not who you're supposed to be fighting with. It's supposed to be who you're fighting for. Yes. And sometimes the enemy just wants to make you think that those are the people that are going against you and keeping you from the place where God wants you to be. But listen, we got to start fighting not against each other, but start fighting for each other. The enemy... Divert, and what he'll do is he wants to divert you from who the real enemy is. And how does he do that? He uses distractions to try to keep you from 
pretend who the real enemy is. He started to distract him from who Eliab was. But what, here's what he did. what I loved about it. He's sitting there talking to Eliab. And Eliab starts in probably talking a bunch of junk. And David's just like, you know, I ain't got no time to listen to that. A lot of times what we do is we stand and we want to fight that battle. And God said, that's not the battle I want you to fight. We want to fight it on Instagram and on, on Facebook, and we want to fight it all over everything else. But God says, I'm about to show you that all the distractions and diversions are keep you from doing what I have called you to do. Discouragement always stands in your way of purpose. You have to learn to tune out those negative people. Here's the thing. Noah built an ark. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. I want to give up after two weeks. And listen, if I was building it, it wouldn't have flowed. But he listened to discouragement. He listened to people telling him, what are you building a boat for right now? But David knew, that, I mean, but Noah knew that there was more to what that just, but wasn't just a boat he was building. He was building something that was going to create something, take people to save passage. Noah did not give up after two weeks. He stayed the course. I said Noah was an amateur. They built the Titanic and that was a professional. See how that worked out? David turned away. Here's it. I, if it was me and Eliab started talking a bunch of junk, I'd be like, come at me, bro. Come on. Come at me. But he turned away from that, and that is so hard to do. He doesn't attack back. Don't fight someone or something you should be fighting for is what I already said. He walked away from his obstacles. He walked away from those things that were going against him just so he could get to his assignment. So many times we get so caught up in the obstacles. We get so caught up in, in the distractions and the diversions and, and all of those things. And God said, man, if you'll just not pay attention to what those are. Listen, I put a rear view mirror in there. I put a rear view in the mirror and it's this big. But we're always looking in the rear view mirror. And God said, I got a, I got a windshield for you, baby. That's where I want you to start looking. Got to stay focused on the mission. Verse 29 I love it. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? David came on the scene as an observer, but he couldn't stay that way. When the Spirit of God gets hold of you, you can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I think it's the church right now, the reason we're seeing, we're not seeing the manifestations, we're not seeing what God is doing is because we're sitting on the sidelines, we're waiting for someone else to do what God has called us to do. He says, get in the game. He challenged those men. Here was a boy standing in front of all these men. He said, what is our purpose? What are we called to do? What do we stand for? Is there not a cause? The world marches on Wall Street. They picket. They, they protest and they speak out. And you know, there's a tiny percentage of people who are getting a lot of things done right now just because their voice is being heard. What if we as the church opened our mouth? What if we as a, in the workplace and, and in the schools and everything opened our mouths? What could we change? What are you fighting for? I don't even know if this is real, but I want to feel like it is. They were interviewing some kids on a college campus and they were, the reason they were picketing is for socialism. And this girl said, well, I, I think everybody, everybody ought to be social and I'm all for the, 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 the world being a better place because you can just socialize. 
And I'm like, chick, what are, what are you even talking about? Do you even know what you're standing up here picketing for? And listen, most people don't even know. They just go with the flow. What if they knew the truth? What if they could hear the truth? What if they knew that God could change lives? And What could we do? We go on vacation, and most of the time she's asleep by seven-something. Amen. Amen. It leaves me a little time to click through all the, all the stations, right? So I'm clicking through all the stations, and I never watch CNN. I never watch MSNBC. Hardly ever watch Fox News. I hardly watch any of that stuff. That, during this time of vacationing, I got to really listen to what in the world they were finding. And it astounded me to feel, to hear all of the different opinions and views that are going on in the world. I'm not standing up here taking any sides today. I'm just telling you, I don't even know if anybody knows what we're fighting for anyway in this country. I have no idea. You, you flip one channel and they're saying this. You flip the next channel and it changes. And, and I'm just like, what in the world are we fighting for? And I think that's a little bit of what we are. Will you take a stand when no one else will? Christianity today is not popular. The church is not relevant. Morality is subjective to our personal feelings. I just don't feel like it. And if it feels good, then we ought to be able to do it because why would God create something? Oh. Why would he create something if we, if we couldn't enjoy it? But morality is subjective. What are we passionate about? Where's our voice? Chick-fil-A Three years ago, three or four years ago, decided that they were going to take a stand, and you couldn't get a parking spot outside of Chick-fil-A. Some of y'all love Chick-fil-A. Y'all be eating it three times a day. I'm like, okay, that's all right. You couldn't get it. It was all the way down the off-ramps, all the way down on the Gene Snyder, all the way around every Chick-fil-A because they took a stand. And they said every single, every single proceed we're going we're to give a portion back for this. They took a stand and did that. But we have prayer meetings. We get eight people show up. I'm just being honest this morning. What could we do if we took a Chick-fil-A stance in prayer meeting, what would happen? If people were lined up out the door, do you think our cause would be, do you think people would not have to worry about what we're fighting for? I doubt that. Oh, I'm getting in trouble. God allows, uh, aligns us with causes to bring him glory. David wasn't fighting his battle. He was fighting God's battle. 1 Samuel 17, 47 then all the assembly shall know, they're going to know, that the Lord has, does not save with a sword or a spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he, he, will give you unto my, into my, he will give you unto my hands. He's trying to tell him, listen, you're coming up with all of this stuff. You've got all the armor on, but God is fighting the battle. I got somebody behind me who's much bigger than you, Goliath. But so, so many times we forget who is fighting our battles for us. 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, I like that, because he called him Goliath. They called him Goliath earlier, but now he's not even going to allow him to have a name. There are things in your life that you need to unname. There are some things in right now you've been calling Goliath, and God is saying, I don't want you to take that name away from that thing. It doesn't deserve a name. He said, the Philistine. He said, you come at me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. You know, the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is in. Sometimes you don't know what to, how to fight the battle. You don't know what the right words are to say, but then just start calling out the name Jesus because at his name, every knee shall bow. Number three, who 
are we fighting for? I have no idea what God, why God chose these two young people right here to do a youth ministry eight years ago. I mean, when we were standing there and the guy was sitting around the table and he said, stop, I see thousands of youth around you. And you would think that was a euphoric time and the clouds were getting ready to separate. I was like, um, excuse me, I don't even know if I like teenagers, for one thing. <laughs> Secondly, I've never been a youth pastor. I'm, I'm a little, I'm 40-something. I'm I mean, what are you talking about? But let me tell you, why would he choose us? Because we were the least qualified. But God qualifies the unqualified. He chose us because we were open enough to say, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how this is going to happen. Can, you, can we get some people to help us out here? But God is always looking for you to not have all the facts. He wants you to rely on him. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Thank you, Lord. To put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those that are mighty. We made many mistakes. Let's look at uh, uh, Psalms 37, 23. And you've heard, some of you have heard our testimony. Many of you all haven't. Psalms 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, it doesn't say if he falls. It doesn't say might fall. It says though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Here's the thing. God intended us to take a journey. And he intended us to take a journey from point A to point B. But somewhere along the line in my life, I decided, oh, I got a better idea. And I think I'm just going to go out of here and I may be able to, oh, that's a little higher than I thought. I'm going to walk over here and, and I'm going to go over there and, and, and I'm going to hang out with this not so great crowd, you know, over here. And I'm just kidding, Taylor. And I'm going to go over here and I might even, you know, got two redheads on the front row. You know, that'll always get you in trouble. And then, you know... I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to hang out where I'm not supposed to be. And before too long, point A to point B turns into point A to point C to point D to point F. And before, before long, you don't even know how in the world you got to those places. But God says, I intended you to walk this straight line. And it doesn't matter if you walked around this building or if you walked too many journeys away. I'm still going to get you right back on track. Don't let your past journeys keep you from your new destinations. Don't let what's in the rearview mirror keep you from looking out the windshield. Don't let where you've been tell you, dictate where you're going because God says, listen, I got a better plan for your life. I got a good plan for your life. Don't keep listening to those Eliabs in your life. Don't be listening to those negative people who tell you you'll never do, you'll never accomplish. I got something bigger for you. Verse 33. I like this one. You are not able to go against this Philistine. That's what, that's what everybody else is telling him. For you are youth. And I wrote here, don't send a boy to do a man's job. We live in a world right now where, you know, these youth, these young people, you know, let's just, let's just get away from them. Let's, let's, I don't know, they just don't have the right. But I'm going to tell you something. Do not ever underestimate the value of this younger generation. You may want to choke them, but I'm telling you what, they got a lot to bring to the table. I remember coming to, into, into some uh, meetings, and, and, and you know, I'm, a little, I'm a little older, a little older school, and uh, I would listen to some of these ideas, and some of them were Kagans, and some of them were different, and they were like, that is not going to work. That is so dumb. And then it would work. Then I'd have to tell him, 
that was a pretty good idea. <laughs> but also, as he said a few weeks ago, you all, they need us to be able to lead them and guide them in the right direction. We need each other. This is not just a, this is a multi-generational church. It's because, you know why? We need each one. And this is not the Pastor uh, Rich and Pastor Mindy show. This is our church. We've got to take it under control. Don't estimate to, underestimate the power of this generation. What would happen if we became the adults they needed us to be? What would happen if we became the examples that this young generation needs? What would happen if we become the leaders and the parents? We got too many parent grandparents raising grandkids. What a grandparent is supposed to do is supposed to give the grandkids Mountain Dew and chocolate and send them home and said, can you take a video of how they act when they get home? That's what it's supposed to be. But we have so many grandparents raising kids because the parents don't have it all together. Do we really care? Our sons and our daughters don't know who Jesus is. They're roaming aimlessly around. They have no direction. And if things don't change, it's going to affect our future, and it already has. We see addictions and, and suicide and crime. And I just want to ask you this morning, is there not a cause? Is there not something worth fighting for? I mean, when you look around, you see people always coming up with this thing and that thing, but there is something worth fighting for. Well, you ask Pastor Rich, what do we do? Second Chronicles 7.14 is one of my favorites. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen to this. There are conditions to change the conditions. That big if on the front of that means if you'll do this, I'll do that. If you'll repent, if you'll pray, if you'll seek my face and seek the will, then I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change your family. I'm going to change your workplace. But if there are conditions to change the conditions, the pursuit of God leads to knowledge. When you pursue after God, he's going to let you know who he is. And knowledge to revelation. And revelation requires action. When you know about what you're supposed to be doing and God reveals everything that you're supposed to be doing, he's going to require you to do something about it. I think it's time that we step out of our church and out of the church into the world. There, there are things going out there. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. There are things going out, out there that we want to get them to come in here, but we never go to there. We want to fill our churches, and we want to do those things, but we never want to go out there. A good shepherd smells like the sheep. When you stop smelling like the sheep, you've lost what you're supposed to be doing. That's why I, I'm a little different pastor, and she's a little different pastor. And we're, we're maybe a little different here sometimes because I feel like that you have to be down in the trenches with people. You have to be where they're at to be able to know what they're going through. God is looking for a generation, both young and old, to be family changers and work changers. He wants you to walk into your office and make such a difference that you say, there's something different about that guy right there. When's the last time somebody said, man, there is something different about you? I've had people in Kroger say, are you a pastor? 
I don't know. I never told anybody I was, but maybe there's just something different about me. I've been called different, but anyway, maybe there should be something different about us. Maybe we shouldn't just blend in. Maybe we should be the person that's making the reasons why that we are going after what God wants. I like this part. Let's all stand. When you think about what David was fighting for, it wasn't just the sheep he was fighting for. He was fighting for their livelihood. It wasn't just a bunch of sheep he gathered up and he watched every single day. That was what they made their living doing was, being, was having sheep. They needed them. It wasn't just a giant that he was standing in front of. It was a nation that he was standing up for. When he looked at the giant out there, he wasn't just looking at a giant that, that he would have to face by himself. He was looking at a nation that was looking to him. People are looking to us to make a difference. They're looking to us to say, is there not a cause? Is there not something worth fighting for? They're looking for us to not look at a giant, but look at a nation that needs Jesus. It wasn't just a battle. It was God's battle. Are you ready to join the cause? And I'm not talking about a political party. I'm not talking about let's make the earth green, which we should. And I'm not talking about the next big thing. I'm talking about being light in a dark world. Listen, the sun is shining out there. We live in a dark world. Things are happening right now, and a lot of times what we've done is we've had our head in the sand and we've not paid attention to what's going on, but there is a dark world out there that needs the light of Jesus. Can we be a voice to those who don't have a voice? We hope you enjoyed this message on the My Big Church podcast. We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Faganbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church podcast.